Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hinda Zaina, and uh, with me today is Well Hattar, and our guest is Nora Razian, head of exhibitions at Art Jamil. We're going to be talking about trends and exhibitions and the art world, particularly maybe things Well and I have noticed recently. And just um, we wanted to hear from um, someone who works, you know, as a curator, who you know is head of exhibitions at Jamil, like a perspective on how what kind of thinking goes behind presenting works like this. So hello, Ael, and hello, Nora. Hi, Hind. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to have this conversation. Uh, Nora, who's, head, who's currently head of exhibitions at Art Jamil, also did her time through uh, Tate London, as well as sort of, kind of covering larger museum types and, and, and different forms of institutions. And when we'll get to, to you right now, uh, Nora, but uh, what I wanted to, to, to also kind of soften, soften the mood is that um, I guess now with with the with everyone's reinteraction re to the world and us seeing exhibitions properly and and having the chance to travel and compare and by biennales coming back group shows really the art world is uh, rebursting. But what happens with that is we start to to see and pick up a new directions that maybe um, weren't we weren't as as uh, they weren't as keenly presented before. The fact that with time and age, um, people have been have been seeing life differently and thus we have to present art to them in, in, a, in a different way. So so Nora, um, before we start kind of asking our, each other and, and yourself questions, um, give, give the audiences a little bit of a background about yourself and uh, a quick look at how, if you see anything different with the, with this current shows. Hi, hi, Wa'el and Hind. Really happy to, to be here with both of you. Um, yes, I think thanks for the introduction. So just quickly, um, uh, as Wa'el mentioned, I was curator of public programs at Tate London. Um, so that was working sort of across, uh, you know, talks, workshops, uh, performances as well in some cases. And then I moved to Beirut uh, as head of exhibitions and programs for the Sursut Museum at a time when it was um, sort of relaunching after you know almost uh, ten years of closure, uh, and for the last uh, over four years, I've been uh, with Art Jamil uh, in Dubai at the Jamil Art Center, uh, sort of heading up the exhibitions program there. Um, Nora, Nora and I have, have known each other for a while, so we've uh, we've seen arts in different countries, and I remember Hind and I were were just dis were discussing sometimes positively, sometimes negatively, these trends we're talking about right now. Because I remember, uh, I would honestly, what, 10 years ago? Remember when Hind, when, when food art was a thing and everybody wanted to have meals and everybody sat around, everybody talked about food. It was it was thematic, at least in, in our region. And then even kind of uh, after, I don't know if it was before that or after that, this is something Nora and I had had uh, witnessed a few times, which was a lot of storytelling art. Like like with everything else, these are trends. It doesn't mean that the art is good or bad, but also it means that we get a lot of the same thing in, in one chunk and go. And and the past um, year or so, now that I've been getting back into, like I said, seeing art and, 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 um, and presentations of it, uh, the latest thing that I witnessed, and I'm not sure if it can be my own imagination, but there's a lot more of um research art or kind of written art and we can go into details of how to explain it but all this kind of research art that i sometimes see is unfinished that's just there and and i wanted we wanted to, to both talk to you to to clarify 
to us and to the audiences what exactly what what research art is and uh well and trends in general you know i think uh when we say research-based art i suppose we're referring to art that stems from a sort of long and deep process of research by the artists, either uh, by themselves or with particular communities and in particular mm-hmm. contexts. And usually this is, uh, you know, centered around certain social or political or uh, economic questions that the artist is sort of interested yeah. in. I think obviously all art has a form of research at its center, whether it's material or otherwise. But I think in this particular inter, uh, you know, instance, we're talking about work that's really trying to probe at certain, um, as I said, sort of like socially or historically rooted issues. Yeah. And okay. then sort of presenting yeah. that to the public. So I think the question we're looking at here is how that's done rather than the premise, because I think it's been around for a long time, but maybe we're trying to unpick you know, um, I mean, look at like like I said, everything any everything that I mentioned before, whether it's Uru historically, it's, it's been around for a while. But but what Hind and I were saying is that we've recently been seeing a lot more of it in everything that we go to uh, compared to before. So, for instance, um, the, the the I went to the Turkish uh, Biennale recently, and usually at Biennales, you see that's where you expect these things. You see, you see like, you know, I don't know three or four, maybe, I don't know, between one and four pieces of research art, research-based art. But now when I went, at least in every section of the of the Biennale, there was one or two pieces. So it, I, I would say half the show was research-based art. This is where, when Hindu and I were talking, is it, how, where is, where does the line cut from actual research-based art that gets to a point to, to unfinished art? Or even sometimes is it, has has it expanded because a lot of maybe a lot of uh, uh, lesser known countries of art people have to explain their their background and their country and their politics to um, a foreign audience that is not used to them before they go into the art or you know where where is the line where they would create something because we've we, and you can always uh, correct me if I'm wrong but. You do a lot, most art people have to research their research something. I yeah. think it's maybe more to do with the, how the work is presented. So of course everything you know does start with research, but I think there's a lot where the ex, in the exhibition, the exhibition, the, the final work are the scribbled notes, are the little yeah. pieces collected, and and so to me it's like what is what what what's the final work? I think maybe I look at it more from aesthetically, like mm-hmm. what am I taking? Who's going to sit and read little notes and diaries and you know and it, so it just feels like very performative, like, you know, the, that's the artwork. And yeah. and is it like, to, it's almost like as if the artist needs to convince the viewer that, look, I spent so much time and thinking behind this. And and to me, it's like, I'd rather see a, 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 a you know, a, a piece of work that feels a bit more finished, a bit more polished versus, yeah, you know, where, you know, the work looks, pre- you know, like I said, whether scribbled notes or objects or you know very dense and it's like okay am I, are you expecting me to sit and like kind of read everything to understand what was the thinking behind it or the ideas of what you're trying to present yeah and I think this is what I was trying to get to in terms of you know how is that body of research um translated then into an artwork and how are you expecting different kinds of publics to to engage with it to one I suppose understand 
um, the ideas and questions and propositions behind the work, but also how is that how is that an aesthetic experience as well? And I think yeah, well, we saw the Istanbul Biennial together, and um, and you know I saw different kind of biennials over the summer, and obviously you know the type of work will be sort of brought in by curators who have particular interests as well. So I wouldn't say every single one sort of, I suppose, had that trend because uh, I suppose the Venice Biennial is very different, obviously, in, in terms of tone and format and content. Yeah. Something like the Istanbul Biennial, which is very much sort of engaged with the city, engaged with like opening up access to spaces that are not normally viewable um, and, and sort of thinking about particular geographic and, and geopolitical context as well so yeah. I think that informs the kind of work that's sort of brought to the public in a way um but I think yeah backtracking in terms of like what are we what kind of experience are we giving the audience and um and what are we asking them to take away from this so I think you know in some instances there was a lot of documents presented either in a monumental way sort of on the wall but still as documents or either in the form of like almost you know, walking into uh, somebody's kind of desktop with videos or sort of everywhere, you know? So is it is it enough to sort of present the research as we're saying and what mm. and what does that do? What's Where's the proposition there? So you're presenting the research, but we don't understand what you're proposing. What What's the question that's coming out of it? What's your sort of, what's the critique that's coming out of it? And I think that's that's where the challenge is. And that's the, within that challenge is where sort of good artwork can be made, you know? So I think for me, it's that it's that question sort of, yes, there's a lot of research that can go into things and, and perhaps, you know, bringing to light archives or documents that haven't previously been seen by the public and especially in places where historicizing and archiving um, hasn't happened or has happened in a haphazard way due, due to sort of certain uh, political or social situations or even natural disasters, right, that might decimate certain archives or otherwise. So... I understand that impulse and sort of bringing together documents and, and bringing them to light, but then what's the proposition there? What are we trying to show? How are we trying to communicate this? And then is it enough, right? So, and I think, you know, it depends on the kinds of documents as well. So in Istanbul Biennial, you had a display by, uh, I think it was the Nepal Picture Library, um, you know, of sort of women engaged in sort of social and political sort of work in Nepal. You know, that's coming from a very particular context of how archives were amassed and thought about and even preserved and, and a lot were destroyed obviously in the earthquake that happened not so long ago. So there's an impulse to sort of present, present to like almost um, uh, make visible these people and these histories, et cetera. And that's the sort of, I guess, political project there is to sort of make visible what happened. Um, and allow people to sort of take away information from that. But in another example, uh, I think it was Lamia Jirej's work we, we looked at, which was sort of talking about, um, you know, the famine in Lebanon, Ottoman era sort of famine, military, you know, like uh, conscription, et cetera. Um, and it was very much an aesthetic making visible of the, of the documents there, but but it was like, a lot of reading and and there was and the documents were in Turkish or Arabic and there was like you know a, a, a book that accompanied the show which was a translation of all the documents and there the question for me was what what is the proposition here mm -hmm. you know because the history is known to certain people maybe unknown to others 
But other than putting like a frame around this history, I'm not sure what the proposition there was, to be honest. So yeah, I, I think in some instances, as I was saying, the making visible might work, but in other instances, uh, I'm not sure what it what it does. Okay, so so with, with that point, um, and, and as you're saying, the curators select the artist to, to go on, and this is the, the, their trend that happens. Um, would the creator in this instance be able to tell the artist uh, when they think they need more, or, is, or would the creators also not in, not get involved at all in uh, with with artists of that kind? So, example, if you were if you had a show and you had artists who are research based artists, do you see this mm. and you would you tell them that I see the research, but I don't see the art, or I would want more, or I would want less? Do you, would you get in, would would a curator then get involved? I mean that yeah I mean that's definitely the role of the curator um, to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, I think there's a limit to those conversations as well because you're not mm -hmm. making you know you're no, not making course. the work yourself. But I think you know um, uh, you know there's a role there in sort of mediating that to the public and and bringing about and and posing these questions to whoever's sort of producing the work. I mean, thinking about, yeah, like showing everything you've read or research, whether it's video or like the examples you gave and, you know, especially, you know, like documents. And to me, then, is it is it is it worth artists to think about instead of kind of putting it out there as part of the exhibited work? Is it important to also think of maybe putting it in a book, for example, so it's accompanying the finished work. I, I don't know, I mean, because the questions you said, like, what is the proposition? What is, you know, I think these are important questions and maybe not all artists ask themselves that. And, and maybe that's something to encourage a bit more, like, especially if there are lots of details that won't necessarily be in the final work, but if it's feeding the work. And because I also think about, yeah, this, this like publishing material in a book, is that of value as well? That becomes, you know, like a, mm -hmm. Yeah. accompanying the final piece you know so not get catalog per se but yeah like yeah i don't know the artist's diary for example or mm. I, I don't know like I, I just think these might be interesting ways of presenting things like that yeah i mean i'm you know i'm all for presenting different kinds of materials and exhibitions and different kinds of um works you know either like archives or publications or even work that doesn't proposed to be an artwork, but that might, you know, work in the context of a certain exhibition and the, the questions you're trying to raise. But I think, um, yeah, I think the fundamental question is what makes it an artwork, essentially. Um, mm. and, exactly. uh, and, and, you know, maybe it isn't, maybe it's, you know, maybe you're inviting people to come and it's like a reading room and, uh, or like a, a showing of, of certain archives of a certain time. And, and that's the proposition, as I said, to sort of make that visible. Um, but it sits under the broader umbrella of like an art practice or a cultural practice, but maybe it's not essentially an artwork. So I think, you know, just because it's within the space of a biennial or within the space of an exhibition doesn't necessarily mean that it's an artwork, if you know what I'm saying, if that makes sense. No, that that does make sense, and and but 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 that's when the audiences come in, and have going having a biennial or kind of a one of those large institutional arts. More people who aren't um, as market aware or kind of art buyers and things they come into, and a lot of a lot of hopefully a lot of students would go in to see these things. And this is where 
we'd get a lot of reactions from friends or this eye rolling of what is this that we're seeing? You know, you're, people are making more of a fuss from art, making it less approachable, less understandable. Um, and, and, and going back to the point about the point of art is sometimes they would see it as unfinished work rather than research art. If they would have to do their own research, mm -hmm. finding mm -hmm. what the art form is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think this comes back to like, let's maybe think about what we're demanding from an audience to do. You know, I, is it realistic to put, you know, like a hundred hours of, of video archives in a room? Like, will anyone actually sift through and watch this and understand your proposition. So I think also, you know, to think about the audience experience and people come, you know, I think the maximum someone might spend with an artwork is like 20 minutes, which is very sad, but true. And it's usually, you know, at the, at the lower end of the scale for most works. So, you know, I think we always have to think about that. So how, what are we, you know, giving to the audience? How can they take away something meaning, meaningful from this experience? How can you do justice to all this material you've collected and present it in a way that is an art experience if that's what you want to do? Uh, if you're presenting archives and that's your sort of proposition, how can you present that? How can you contextualize it in a way that people can, you know, get to it, maybe understand a, a small chunk of it and then extrapolate to understand the whole, so I think these are the kinds of questions sometimes that that fall through and aren't you know aren't addressed in a, in a in a successful way and I think that leads to these sort of frustrating encounters where you go into a room and it's like 100 hours of video and you know you've taken a taxi for half an hour to get there and you just get really frustrated you know so you also have to think about okay people are traveling and coming in and and it's a an visitor mm. experience from when you leave your house so you get there that's part of your journey what are you going to, you know, how are you going to sort of... Um, yeah, but also people view it with like 20 other people in the room rather than yeah. their own. What you, what you said makes look makes a lot of sense. and But a lot of the things, and I know I don't want to come out as, as, as negative, but I'm just trying to get an understanding and an explanation to, to our audience as well. So historically, in, in my background as an installation artist, there's a lot of an, a need for understanding of space and flow and how audiences view something and interact with it. Um, and when in, in the beginning of our, uh, our our podcast, we had talked about you guys had talked about the aesthetics of when that comes in to a research based art. So I'm assuming in in, kind of in the art world of people, you know, it is quite competitive and it's quite developed. But I would assume uh, that a lot of these research based artists, now that they have to present their art, since they're not researchers, they would need this kind of aesthetic understanding, or at least kind of uh, artistic translation of, of something beyond um, someone's PhD, for instance, you know? So is it, is it, is it in, impolite of us to, to have to expect this kind of at least minimum level of installation art understanding for their presentations? Especially when, like you said, when it's either, it ranges between uh, hundreds of hours of, of video that they're presenting in a way to lots of boxes of photos in it, to wallpapers of, of people's uh, practices, if, if anything, you know? So while we do have the kind of the time, the time understanding of it, where, when, when does the force of us agreeing, yes, this is aesthetically pleasing as well as information uh, sharing and, and gathering versus not, when do we get to be saying, I don't like it, it doesn't look good, but you know, what's the balance there? Yeah, I mean, that's a, I suppose a very subjective 
question. And, um, you know, on the one hand, just to backtrack a bit, I think mm. what's important to note is that, yes, some artists might be also part of an academic institution researching in that way, but many artists and, and people, you know, curious and interested in the arts look look at art practices a way that can um, bring together truly like multi multidisciplinary forms of research, okay. right? That academic research cannot do. Um, so you can, uh, you know, bring in different ways of researching, different uh, methodologies or different, as I said, disciplines together. And, and in that there's also a proposition, right? And that's why um, I think it's a very ex exciting space to work in as well, because ideas can come together in ways that they can't really come together in other places. Uh, but in terms of yeah, what's what's the experience? What makes a good a good experience? I think that differs for everybody. Uh, I suppose um, you know if you if you think of perhaps successful successful examples um, when you're looking at a work that's successful, you know, work based on a mm. large body of research. In a way, you forget about that research and it's a very precise um, proposition that you understand you know so it could be based on like hundreds of hours of research and listening to things and interviewing people but when you get there there's a very precise proposition that's being put in front of you and you and you pretty much get that immediately you know and i think that's that's where that's how a successful piece of research-based art can work in that there doesn't have to be a lot of contextualization. You don't have to like read a book mm. to understand what you're looking at. But when you get there, it's a very clear position. Oh, okay, I, I get what they're trying to do. I get it. You know? And then it might spark an interest in you to then look further into what, what that okay, area. That, that I would understand and agree with. So what we're saying is that when you go into uh, the presentation of this research voice art and you're like, oh, okay, it takes you a very short time to understand the theme. And then you're like, I'm interested to know more and the presentation of that. That's cool. And I will I will segue to to, to, to Hin's conversation about video because with with video as well in in, in these kind of um, presentations, you have a, a quick chance for people to to look glean at the video and then decide whether they're going to sit for two and a half minutes, two to twenty minutes um, in that time frame, right, Hind? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. You said like an average. Uh time for a, a, an exhibition visit is 20 minutes and for, I and, would say like the maximum sorry in front of an artwork is 20 I mean that's like the maximum it, you know maybe okay. but I think most people are like you know walk by viewers yeah a lot of the time where they give it maybe a minute or 30 seconds of their time unless you know they're sort of really interested in, in that particular or artist conversation. Or, yeah so I think you know, even from when I was working at, at Tay, you know, you just watch people literally walk by uh, works from, you know, across history from, you know, so-called masterpieces to otherwise. <laughs> but it's really like, <laughs> it's it's just a look and then you and then you walk by, you know. Mm. But I think uh, for most people, it's a quick experience, which, you know, we think of on our bad days. <laughs> but yeah. On our good days, we hope that people sort of spend more time and, and, and are engaged but, with what you're trying to put together. 
And I think maybe that's maybe where durational work suffers, right? Because, you know, there's a start and an end. And, and the whole point is that you have to watch it from start to end. So whether it's a video or a performance and, 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 and I think maybe art nerds like, well, and I, yeah, we're there, you know, yes. And especially with video works or, you know, moving image, like I'm, I, you know, the first thing I look at is how long does this work, right? And sometimes, you know, it's included in the label, sometimes it's not, and that's, you know, another conversation. And then I know, okay, whether I'll do, do the rest of my round and come back or sit, and then at least I have a sense of, okay, if I'm in the middle of this, you know, I've entered at the middle of uh, this work and I know when it's gonna end and when it's gonna start again. And, and of course, yeah, like, you know, presenting something that's hundred hours, you know, no one's gonna sit through that. Or, I mean, even like Christopher Markley's, you know, the 24 hour film, right? <laughs> like, who's gonna watch, you know, so that's, you know, and that's like an event and a completely different way of entering into see, yeah. see that work. And the proposition is also very clear, right? It, exactly. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, I mean, again, so whether it's a 10 minute video or a 20 minute video and yeah, people dip in and out and not see it and which is very fr frustrating. But then I think I also feel part of the issue is that it's not presented in a way where people can sit and watch it, right? So lots of times, especially if it's anything maybe more than five or 10 minutes where, okay, I'd rather not be sitting and watching and maybe because one's getting older, I also need to rest my back. <laughs> and, you know, so it's, it's also, um, I think about how, yeah moving image is presented mm. and are you inviting are you making it you know welcoming for people to sit and and, and watch it from start to end or are you know is the artist okay or the curators okay that yeah it's your you know you're passing by and and it was interesting because um uh, uh the white pew published something very recently called a word to curators and about you know accessibility of um, you know in museums and galleries to sit and watch and especially maybe someone who has health issues you know why they can't stand for long and they want to you know watch something and so I again I don't know how much of that is a consistent way of thinking you know a, a, this a responsibility to viewers right to make you know to, how can you cover everyone's needs or or, or not. Um, one other example, uh, like Sharjah Art Foundation has a whole gallery dedicated to moving image and it's been on for quite a few months. And I went there to see works and works that I haven't seen, you know, that I've read about um, and I wanted to sit and watch them, but like nothing in there was, especially like they have a bunch of videos that were showing back to back, but you know, all the seeds, there was no backrest. And it was, I think it's an hour plus kind of duration of watching like several short films. And you know, the, the, the screen, the projection looks really good, but the seating wasn't, right? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do this. And which is disappointing because I literally drove there intentionally to watch these works. And I'm like, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be here. <laughs> And hint to add, it's not just not the video at all, because as we were talking about with, with the research-based art, you have all these things. And I remember a lot of the times the, the person standing there would tell us, oh, you can open the box and look through the photos. But then again, when you have all these kind of letters and messages and things, you have to stand, at least you get a bench, but you have to stand there and read things and, and reread it to, to understand all the art speak that's in there as well. Um, it's It's not the most, you know, so they want people to just, unfortunately walk through it and then by osmosis understand the research that was there but yes the, with the with the video at least at least with this one we need light when the video sometimes you sit in a not very dark room showing things and then you're hearing the sounds from the outside 
and there's flashbacks of the 80s in the cinema when you're watching a nice calm movie and someone's Arnold on the other side exploding at you and you're like I'm watching two movies at the same time so this is this does happen with video um video with video shows but like I said even with the with the with the research ones there isn't a library for you to sit that and go through it which and and I haven't seen any of the library work that, that they have at uh our Jamil but it's uh I don't know if, if we can if, if this goes into it any any of it any of it at all but going now to to Nora to to continue what when Hind was 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 mentioning mm. that how far do you guys when you when you create and prepare not you as an art Jamil but you guys as creators and presenters of art how far do you go into thinking where people can sit and relax and have the chance to go through things. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, super important. And it's part of the whole experience of the show that you give people time to rest and sit. Uh, of course, if the video work is longer than two minutes, definitely you need a place to sit and experience it. Um, of course, it's always tricky to show video installations within a gallery context because A, they're not mm -hmm. made for that. Sort of acoustically, it's always a challenge. Um, sound leak is always a challenge, especially when things kind of open onto each other. You don't want to have a build-heavy exhibition. Um, and even black boxes are not the best experience in the world, right? You feel a little bit claustrophobic when you're in there. But I think, yeah, it's uh, it's always a question of you know how do you show things and and just you know a lot of places are turning you know are, are having this kind of like set rooms where they show uh, film works and we also have that at the Jamil Art Center but of course you know you can't accommodate every kind of film in the way it should be seen mm. definitely um, uh, and the way people also like to come and sit uh, in exhibition spaces as well is quite particular uh, uh, you know some people might not like to sit down next to a stranger for example so if there's people sitting down they wouldn't go sit down next to that person or they might decide to sit. so you know you have to like think about all of these ways that people might see it from the mm. different angles of the room and how how much time they're able to spend there yeah I think it's uh it's a challenge that's uh <laughs> that's ongoing I guess um and you know in the in in the show now we have on at the, the Jamil Art Center in Ocean Every Drop one of the works uh you know the, the artist proposition was to have the screen slightly tilted and you know quite an enlarged size and to enable a certain kind of viewership as well right so you know, there's the sort of project on the wall, straight up black box, but then you can play with that dynamic and think about how video is shown. How can it be more immersive? Can you play with scale and the space and and all of that as well to kind of create a different experience? There's, there's one little uh, pet peeve I have uh, when it gets to sometimes uh, uh, research or video is that you know, a lot of these group shows or or presentations, you have like a little write-up about the art piece so you can have an understanding before you get into it. But sometimes when it's a black box, the write-up is on the inside and you're like, what what am I looking for? Or even with the research-based art, you, you can't tell what is the write-up and what is part of the research. So uh, again, I'll, I think uh, more and more these things should be, should be taken in mind. And I, I remember the only reason I had to... To, the reason I, I I look out for this is because in in in, in my history of work with when I did the installations I, that was a point that I needed to know in the flow of the art where to place that blurb 
and I had arguments with some, uh, with some, uh, not necessarily curators, the people who are constructing the, the location about, no, no, I need it here. And they wouldn't understand that the flow is it like if people walk from you, I'm like, yes, but I need them to, to read this before they see anything, vice versa. So that, that gets, uh, again, I don't know, I don't know whose responsibility, if it is the curator or if it trickles down, but these things also get, um, uh, need, uh, need a different way of, of, of viewing in these kind of larger mass, uh, shows that, that present art to us in, in the bucket load when it comes to biennials. Yeah, I think because it's like labeling in general sometimes, like some, you know, uh, museums or galleries do it really well and, and some don't. And I always like, why is there no consistent kind of, you know, where like there's one base where everyone, some kind of rule that is followed because yeah, whether it's font size or where it's placed, because sometimes labeling also like they'll group works, but then the labeling is in another area. So you don't know what work, you know, what, what piece is what and whose art is whose. And, and yeah, I don't know what, what is usually the conversation with labeling? Is it something that comes at the very end or, or does it again vary depending on the exhibition and the type of space? No, I mean, there's definitely also best industry practice, right? Mm. So making sure it's readable for people, um, and it's clear and everything and that the language you're using is not too convoluted and, and quite accessible and to the point, I guess. I mean, for me, that makes, you know, the most successful way that you can uh, enable the audience to sort of understand something about the work without over-determining their experience of it either. Um, yeah, I think, you know, successful, as you said, uh, exhibition design is part of the experience right so those things are very much part of the design of the exhibition and how you lay it out and how you think about it of course you know as everybody knows things change when you're on the ground and installing and things might change but essentially this needs to be factored in in, in the way you're sort of thinking about the flow of the exhibition and designing it from the start and I think um, you know some institutions go for very low-key basic labels and some try to also think about the exhibition space as a space where you can like look at, you know, uh, propose interesting design as well um, and, and sort of try out different kinds of exhibition experience as well. And another thing that I just thought of and remembered is like also now I've seen a few where they have a QR code. So you're supposed mm -hmm. to now scan your phone to look at it and what if I don't have a phone or I don't have enough battery or and it's like I just want good old-fashioned text in front of me yeah it's the same problem uh, with menus <laughs> exactly right it's like and you know the internet's not working and 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 I know I think it's some places they present it they think it's projecting oh you're you know you're you know using the latest technology and and I just feel it ends up making it even more inaccessible right because yeah. not everyone or you know not you know even with different generations not everyone's mm. carrying a phone or a smartphone etc yeah sure uh, i mean yeah i mean qr codes have been around for a while but they did get you know they over. actually became <laughs> useful during the pandemic <laughs> but otherwise they were sort of relegated to i guess the dustbin of uh technology so, yeah <laughs> but now they're like everywhere <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, one thing to bear in mind is also the challenge of doing multilingual sort of captions mm. too, right? So if you're working across different languages, uh, you know, in our case too, but sometimes it can be three or four, depending on what, you know, if that language is spoken and the artist, you know, would like to include that in the exhibition, then, then we have that. So then we, we might rely on those kinds of tools, not to then, you know, print like a 
core language kind of capture on the wall. So I think, and that's something I think that's, that's important to think about the different kinds of languages that you're also able to accommodate. I have a couple of questions I want to discuss, uh, still going back to um, the research-based art, and it's more mm -hmm. about my my viewing of it, and and uh, it it really can be a a biased uh, look, but hopefully you guys uh, with art in our discussion or, or question, it it can work out, um, and it's basically two parts. The first part is uh, based on on our on our intro that we see a lot more. At least for him that I said to be able to to bring it up is a lot more research based art. Is that just accidentally our way of of seeing more of it, or has it actually gotten uh, to be a lot more widespread than before? And the second part of this question is that um, the different times I've experienced it, whether it was in Sharjah or or Germany or Turkey, and, and the different biennales that are there, or or larger institutions. Um, it was most of it was always developing countries, or like I said earlier, some, sometime beginning of the of our talk, from countries that aren't as um, aware to the European slash American audiences. Again, is that is that accidental that that what I've seen, or or is it something where the people from these countries have to explain their background and history and notions to uh, the the American European audiences, um, because to be honest, I haven't really in 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 comparison of weight, I haven't seen many I don't know British artists doing research on uh, the the way that I don't know the way that history has evolved. Their look at something or women's rights in voting for something, you know, they don't do that research because a lot of people do kind of know it because it's widespread in history books and and how. I guess colonialism works, but is is it just us accidentally viewing it, or has it a been a trend? And and B, does it actually work more for different geolocations than others? Okay, a lot of questions there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are not necessarily questions for you. We can discuss them all yeah. together because I know Hind and I had had talked about this before, which is why it came up. But we've been seeing it more recently than not, mm. and we've been seeing it in more Asian, African mm. um, areas where people have to yeah. explain have to explain themselves as artists to a yeah. more established audience and crowd. Sure. I guess you know one thing is uh, what you're saying is to sort of like acknowledge a kind of dominant culture, perhaps, um, or yeah. you know where the uh, you know the concentration of museums and and biennials and, and cultural institutions. Are, which is in in sort of European and North American perhaps kind of spaces. Yes. Uh, for the moment, although that's that's changing, of course, quickly. Of course. Um, and the other one is just to think. I mean, just zooming out um, and this idea. I think, you know, I think we'd all agree that we're going through globally a period of crisis for the last you know five years, not just the pandemic, but um, you know, in terms of sort of global conflicts and otherwise, mm -hmm. and all the sort of protests we've seen before the pandemic and after and all of that. So I think when there are these bigger moments of social tensions and changes, a lot of people are more interested in looking into, you know, bigger questions around uh, repressed history, the history or, of it all, yeah. social issues or, or making visible sort of certain social struggles. So I okay. think that 
like backdrop uh, informs mm. some of the maybe curator curatorial premises that are happening and curatorial sort of um, you know ways of working that are taking place is that we're going through this kind of moment one of the moments of upheaval of recent history. Uh, on the other hand, and this comes into this idea of um, you know where these exhibitions might be taking place, and of course the art world and cultural sector has of course becoming more and more globalized in a way. And again, I refer to this backdrop of like the last five years of, of uh, calls for more inclusion, uh, revisions of histories, mm -hmm. uh, ideas of repair and apparition and like wanting to showcase more global voices that talk back again to these questions, which again, comes back to this idea of the dominant culture that is. Yeah. To, to be contested in a way. So like asking people to sort of come and contest these histories, contest these dominant cultural forms. But again, it's it's inviting people in answer to certain things. And I think that's what you're sort of talking about. It's like, you know, um, privileging perhaps artworks that talk about a certain place, talk about certain social issues that then allow a certain understanding of a place when they're presented in certain contexts. Um, yeah, they and, might and, function and that, very differently when they're presented in their own context, but when you extrapolate them and present them in a different context, they function. They, you know, by virtue of that context, sometimes function anthropologically uh, in the way viewers might come to them. So I think that's what you're also trying to get at in a way. Uh, I know, like, I just want to say, like, Nora really helped, I think, explain things and put things in, you know, context of, and and to think about, yeah, why certain decisions are made. So no, I, I feel it was quite useful, at least even, even for us. So I'm, I'm glad we had this opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you. Thanks. I really enjoyed it as well. And thank you everyone for listening. You will hear from us soon. Goodbye.